Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> so back in October, as I was doing my, I don't know what it ended up being, something like 14,000 kilometer drive, checking in with donors and supporters of the work that's going on at Ascension, I checked off a few boxes because if you're going to pass things that are worth seeing, you want to kind of go and see them while you are on the road things like Mount Rushmore, which I had never seen before. But one of the places that I hadn't planned on stopping to see, but I just happened to see the sign for it and said, well, if it's right here, I should probably go, was Little Bighorn. Now, if any of you are not familiar with the Battle of Little Bighorn, it took place during the Sioux War of 1876, where on one side, there were the U.S. forces, along with some Crow and Arakara scouts, led by George Armstrong Custer, and on the other side, Lakota Sioux, Cheyenne, and Arapaho natives, led by, amongst others, a general by the name of Crazy Horse. So there I was at Little Bighorn in Montana. And the very first thing that I noticed as I got there and drove through the site, because it's rather large, and saw the cemetery and saw the great monument where most of these people took their final stand was how dumb this was. It was really an incredibly dumb place to try and defend. Now, usually we think, okay, if you're on a really high place where you've got really great lines of sight, that's a good place to mount a defense. Quebec City is chosen for that reason because it's up on a cliff top and you can see anybody coming down the St. Lawrence River from either direction and it's very inaccessible. It's hard to get to. That's not Little Bighorn. Yes, it is the top of a hill. And yes, you can see for miles around, but that works two ways. And it's all gently sloping prairie. So from every single direction, you are encircled. And that's exactly what happened to the troops there at the top of that hill as the Lakota Sioux and Arapaho and Cheyenne encircled them and squeezed them into defeat. Encirclement, it's a military strategy. According to Wikipedia, it's a military term for a situation when a force or a target is isolated and surrounded by enemy forces. It is highly dangerous for the encircled force, obviously. At a strategic level, it cannot receive supplies or reinforcements. On the tactical level, the units in the force can be subject to an attack from several sides all at once. And lastly, maybe the most important for our reflection this morning, since the force cannot retreat unless it is relieved or can break out, it must fight to the death or surrender. And ultimately, those are your only two options if you find yourself encircled by an enemy force. Now, last week, we heard Jesus teach us that unless our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, the Jewish pinnacle of righteousness at the time, we will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the Pharisees and the scribes had done their best to break out of the law of Moses that had been encircling them. They tried to tame the law and pull the teeth out of the law and basically look at the situation they were in and say, I can get out of this. 
all myself. Basically, the Pharisees and the scribes had taken all of the great commandments and rules and statutes that God had laid before Moses and said, we can boil this down to you have said it isms. We just don't have to murder. I've never picked up a knife. I've never picked up a gun. I've never shot anybody. Check. You just don't have to cheat on your wife with another woman like the mayor of Toronto. Don't do that and you haven't committed adultery, et cetera, et cetera. Every time today Jesus says, you have heard it said, he is repeating what the Pharisees have done to the law in an attempt to break out of this encirclement that the Lord has done with his law around his people. And so Jesus tightens the noose, if you will. He does what happened to Custer's troops at the top of Little Bighorn with the native forces gathered all around them and gradually pushes them and pushes them to the middle. You have heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, anyone who's even angry with their brother or sister in their heart has broken the fifth commandment. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks at someone who is not their spouse and wishes that they were has already broken the seventh commandment. What are the solutions to these problems? Just in case you think, well, maybe I could just sacrifice some more turtle doves or lambs or bulls and get, get out of this somehow. Jesus says, pluck out your eye. That'll work. Cut off your hands, your legs. Take away all the things that you think are causing you to sin so that you aren't doing it anymore. How's that going to work out for you? Basically, Jesus says this. You can either try and fight your way out of this against God and his law, and you will lose, or you can surrender. You can surrender to God in Christ. The world is in the same position. The law comes at the world from all angles. All of our neighbors, whether they attend worship in any place or not, even have their consciences and the government's laws encircling them. And they realize what a terrible job they do of keeping them. So they do the same thing as the Pharisees. They try and find a way to break out, try and find a way to fight back to say, no, really, I'm not all that bad. How many of you have heard somebody say, well, at least I'm no Hitler. That's a pretty low bar. I would hope there aren't very many Hitlers walking around or Pol Pots or Stalins, or we could go down the list. I'm a pretty good person, people will say to me. Pastor, I don't need Christ. I don't need salvation. I don't need someone to rescue me because I've done pretty well by others. Of course, everybody around me is petty and unforgiving and bad drivers and cheats on their exams and steals stuff from work, but not me. I'm a good person. It's just all of them. Think about your neighbor for a minute. Do you realize who you are in your neighbor's eyes? One of all of them. We all think we're pretty good. It's just everybody else that sins. It's like the plaque that was on my grandparents' cottage wall. All fishermen are liars, except you and me. 
And sometimes I'm not sure about you. If that's what we think of our neighbors, that they're petty and unforgiving and bad drivers and don't know what to do on the Metropolitan when it's really busy, and why didn't they let me in when I was signaling clearly, what do you think they think of you? What do you think God thinks of all of us? Jesus encircles us with the Sermon on the Mount and tightens the noose, comes from every angle, approaching us up to the top of the hill so that we have no choice but to fight to the death or surrender. Moses suggests fighting to the death is an option. Obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules. And if you do that, you shall live. But look at those commandments, look at those statutes and look at those laws. If even the Pharisees and the scribes do not have a righteousness that is sufficient to enter into the presence of God, how on earth can we even come close? And so fighting to the death doesn't appeal. There is always surrender. It's a possibility. Surrender is an option even there in our gospel lesson. It's sort of hidden in there. It's like a little bit of gospel that Jesus slips in in the middle of this pincer maneuver around his people. Come to terms quickly with your accuser, Jesus says, while you are going with him to court. How to deal. I understand that there is no way out of this. I understand you have me surrounded. I understand that I can't get out of this, that I am a poor, miserable sinner, that I cannot deliver myself from this bondage of sin. I'm going to fly the white flag and try and cut a deal. One of my favorite characters in the original Law and Order from all those decades ago was played by Stephen Hill, and it was the U.S. District Attorney Adam Schiff. And Adam Schiff was a highly pragmatic prosecutor. And whenever his deputy district attorney would come in and say, I've got this case against this murderer, against this thief, or against this mafia lord, Schiff would always look at all the facts and say, you are never going to get this past a jury. Cut a deal. Cut a deal was my favorite line. In fact, I saw a bingo card online for Law and Order, and one of the squares was... Anytime Adam Schiff says, cut a deal. That's what Jesus is trying to get his disciples and indeed the whole world. That's the point he's driving us to in the Sermon on the Mount. We keep thinking somehow there's some way we can break out of this situation we're in, that there's some place where the troops haven't encircled us, that there's somewhere we can get supplies. Maybe they'll be dropped in by parachute. Jesus cuts off every single angle of escape to get us to the point of saying, you cannot get yourself out of this. You have heard it said that you can keep the law and have life. But I say to you, there is only one who can deliver you, and it's me. Fortunately, blessedly, for those who recognize who they truly are, who can look at their heart and, as my former director of missions used to say, see that it is small and black. Find not a Lord that encircles them with an ever-tightening grip of law, 
but a Lord who encircles them with grace, a Lord who encircles them with forgiveness, the same Lord who is willing to ascend a cross and say, I know full well how you have failed the law. I know how you have failed to love your neighbors. I know how you have failed to do good to those who persecute you. I know how you failed to pray for your enemies. And I forgive you. I've died for you. I've bled for you. I have risen from the grave for you that you might no longer fear these encroaching armies, but see the law as a friend. See the law as something that is no longer a threat, but is the perfect picture of how God wants the world to be. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We say that almost every Sunday, unless we're using divine service four. When we go back to one, two, three, and five, we say those words or their equivalent. Do you know that most religions in the world, and Vahid and I have talked about Islam, which is definitely like this, cannot abide the we have sinned against you in thought part. Surely not our thoughts. We know we're thinking bad things. Surely God can't hold us accountable for those. But he does. There is no way out. There's no way to fight your way through to this. But Jesus does offer us surrender in terms of peace, to receive him, receive grace, and receive forgiveness. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.